Um, I've called it Changing My Life, Going Forth on Ordination Retreat and Coming Back. Specs on end of nose job. So, unlike many, I didn't come to the Dharma life in response to specific external suffering, sadness associated with death of friends of, or relatives, which several of my Dharma friends have done, or problems with addiction or reduction in life possibilities due to illness. None of these things. Yes, it's true, I do suffer sometimes from depressive states. Um, not so much these days, but the real cause, and the one that still continues to some degree, was a realisation that was really dawning me on the hollowness of the endlessly turning wheel of life. I just felt a bit empty. Some of you may have heard my reflections about a holiday in Eastern Europe when I was sitting in the sun, in a cafe, in a beautiful, picturesque medieval square, Excellent cappuccino, served by a very beautiful Polish waitress. And all was right with the world. Well, no, actually it wasn't. Strong sensation of deja vu and pointlessness crept over me. What was I doing here? Where was the place of meaning in my life? Dukkha, as many of you know, is the starting point for progress along the spiral path. And because through realisation of unsatisfactoriness of life, one develops the need to find a way beyond reacting in the same old patterns. In my case, I had a materially good life. In fact, from some points of view, you could, you could say it was spent partially in the God realm. I have excellent friendships... Several of these people are here today. A very long-standing and happy relationship with my partner. And yet still I felt constricted, trapped in a small self, with no visible way within my usual everyday world of affecting true change. This sense combined with Shraddha that sees there really is something more beyond my own fabricated self-view generates a feeling for the Dharma life, even if, in many ways, I didn't really understand what that was. From this came the conclusion that a radical change, something that disturbed my settled lifestyle, would be necessary. But obviously, something in which I could have a good deal of trust, and which promised real experiences of spiritual death and rebirth. Oddly enough, despite having a responsible job, I've always been rather indecisive and prone to procrastination. Yet when it came to asking for ordination and decisions that followed from that, I have been very decisive, to the point of surprising myself and Rachel, my partner. In fact, after all these years of being together, that's why it's very difficult to surprise her, but that completely took her by surprise when I asked for ordination. Um, yeah, a good surprise. I think. I'd like to speculate that this is an example of the Dharma Niyama impinging on me as a result of positive karmic action. Who knows? So, for those who don't know, 
and even for those who do, this is my little point where I can put in a little talk about the uh, five niemas briefly, I hasten to add, but it's always a teaching I found quite interesting. So I'll explain a little bit more about for those less familiar with the term. As we all know, I'm sure, the Buddha explained that all things are conditioned, and that there are natural regularities or laws that govern the arising of conditions dependent on those that precede them. These are called the five niyamas. The first three govern the sciences, and the last two regulate human activity and the journey, to quote Maitrabandu. To use their Sanskrit, I assume, names, the Uttanirma deals with interactions of physical inorganic matter. The Bijanirma with organic laws such as biochemical cycles or that colds give you a runny nose. The Manonirma concerns instincts and perceptions in the animal kingdom. So these are all regularities governing the arising and falling and ceasing of conditions. So we come to the last two, the ones that I referred to in relation to myself, the karma nirma and the dharma nirma. In a way, these describe what, is to, what it is to be a Buddhist. Our mission, should we choose to accept it, is to engage with the karma nirma, which describes the relationship between a subject and its experience, the law that governs the relationship between actions of body, speech and mind, and the effects of these actions. Here lies all our volitional actions, skillful or unskillful, and thus the way we subsequently experience the world. This is the substance of Buddhist practice and what we are working with in our dharmic journeys. So finally we come to the Dharma Nirma, the most mysterious of these, and here I quote Maitrabandu, who describes the Dharma Nirma processes as those governing spiritual death and spiritual rebirth. The great transition from self-will to the mystery that lies beyond self-will. Those that come into play when we begin to leave our attachment to ourselves behind. So it's probably the Dharma Nirma that influences us to come to Buddhism in the first place, to go on retreat or to confess unskillful actions. It could maybe be described as the higher potential in ourselves and the universe breaking through into our lives. And I speculatively ascribed my uncharacteristic decisiveness on the road to ordination to its effect because of positive karma I had built up um, in my practice so far. I never doubted that if I was going to get ordained, I would go on the full four-month retreat. The whole point of ordination is transformation. After all, if you're not changed, neither really will your relationship to the wheel of life be. To be frank, without the discomfort of disturbing your habitual ways of being, new uh, new perspectives with new possibilities will not arise. If you take only one point away from me, with you from this talk, I hope it's this one. 
You can't make omelettes without breaking eggs. Well, not that one specifically, but to experience the real promise of the Dharma life, the path will at times be uncomfortable because it requires us to make changes in the deepest levels of our thought and behavior. And this is something we all find difficult and, more often than not, a little painful. Garavachitta read this while I was away on uh, this weekend, this talk, and he said, say that bit three times over. But I'm not going to do that, it's all right. <laughs> so because I run a manufacturing company, I knew leaving the business for four months would be a difficult challenge, practically. But I suspected psychologically. Consequently, I asked the ordination team at Padmaloka for one year's notice, as opposed to the usual four to six months, I think, from confirmation of ordination to the start of the actual retreat. I'm not at all sure with hindsight that this was a good thing. What followed basically was six months of anxiety and uh, no activity whatsoever on my part. And then finally, uh, starting to put things into actions. All the changes I knew I had to make. This procrastination was a great indicator of fear and perceived threat to my security. I had to think through all the tasks I carried out at work. And of course, as the person running the business, I do all sorts of stuff, you know, either the big projects, but also loads of little things. And, you know, I'd never really looked at it. it I just had no idea. Um, there were some obvious things, of course. And I had to work out who to give this stuff to. But much more significantly, I had to let go the reins of power. And the difficulty in so doing starkly emphasized how my status formed part of my sense of self-view, my sense of self. I was the managing director, right? The company needed me. I'll pause there. Let me illustrate a little more why my position formed an important part of my identity. Some of you know this story, others not. My soap company was founded in 1893 in Russia, four generations back from my great-uncle, from whom I, I learned the job. The family protected and preserved the business through the trials of the Russian Revolution, via Nazi uprising in Germany, to wartime Britain and beyond. My workplace is an old textile mill in Chorley, where the company has been since 1937, and I have worked for nearly 29 years. In this time, I've said goodbye to retiring grandparents, whose children and even grandchildren have worked, and, in the two latter cases, have been employed by me. I didn't employ the grandparents, just in case I'm not that old. Over the last few years, I've tried to influence the atmosphere and relationships in the business by treating it as a realm for everyday Dharma practice, hopefully subliminally transmitting some of those values to the working ethos of the staff. And I have seen a lot of changes. It's much friendlier, kindlier place. And the wages are rubbish, actually, because we never make much money. But... Everybody loves it. It's amazing. I even say, why do you want to come back? I have 
women coming back who've had children, they'd work when they were teenagers, they'd come back. And they say they want to work there again. And I always say, I don't understand it. The wages are rubbish. The building's falling down. What do you want? You only get free soap. Um, <laughs> well, unless that's the incentive and they're not telling me. They say, no, we love it here. So there you go. Um, must be something in the air. Um, my attitude has really been, because we couldn't afford very good wages, it might at least be a nice place to be and a friendly place to be. And uh, it's in a very, quite a hard working class area of Chorley and um, supporting people there in their uh, many life problems has been really a major part of the job, to be honest. And keeping the thing going, of course. Um, it's a low-tech business in an in a expensive country, and that makes it very hard to run. All other soap companies have decided to manufacture in uh, India and Nigeria and places like that, so you can see what we're up against. Anyway, enough of soap. Um, I could give you a talk about how soap works, but I don't think we'll go there. Um, so anyway, you can see from all of this that this just wasn't just any old job in and out of which one moves based on one's transferable skills. There was a lot of a huge family history and everything that supported this position. So obviously, I was afraid of leaving it and what that would mean. I can plan what to do with the business over two weeks or a two-week holiday, even once or twice when I went to India, a three-week holiday. I can plan most of that before I go, but you can't plan four months. You just have to give up. Yet, pleasingly and also a little worryingly, it turned out not to be that difficult to train my factory manager to do a lot of my job and my sales director to do the rest. And a few weeks before I left, I was half redundant already. Nobody's indispensable. Where quite a lot of emotional positivity or kusala karma is needed to get to the point of being accepted for ordination and then actually going away for four months, the process was, at least in my case, partly an example of what we now call spiritual death. I realized that a significant part of my story about myself was based on my need for a secure self-image that somehow embodied the position in society I thought I should occupy as a result, presumably, of my education and upbringing, my parents' and society's expectations, and my need to be someone. It wasn't difficult to interpret a dream I had not long before I left for Gukiloka in southern Spain, where the uh, ordinations take place for men. I dreamt that I entered the soap factory where I work, and it was all quiet. It was a working day, and there was no one around. It was a very vivid dream. So eventually I heard some voices upstairs. So I went up very, very quietly and gathered in the lab, which is odd because that never happens, um, all my staff and my colleague, my friend, the sales director. And he was basically saying, well, that's it, Chris. That's my other working name. We don't need him anymore, really. We can work just fine without him. So let's just parcel out the jobs and carry on. I woke in a cold sweat. Um, <laughs> By the way, the code to that story, and I haven't written it here, is, is that I said this to my, uh, my friend, uh, the sales director. I said, oh, I had this dream, and blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, don't worry, you, uh, you've got 51% of the shares, so we can't sack you. 
Uh, is that meant to be reassurance? It doesn't sound like it to me. As Bounty says, we are just the sum total of our habits, our tendencies to act in a particular way. We need to get out of the habit of being the type of person we are. Breaking the first fetter of habit or belief in self requires becoming a new self, a true individual. This isn't easy to do. If it were, the Dharma life would be easy. It would be a doddle, in fact. So this is why Siddhartha had to, and I say Siddhartha, of course, because he wasn't the Buddha at this time, had to leave his comfortable life behind to break with the many things that held him mentally and physically constrained to being his habitual self. The tale of the four sights, though probably not historically accurate, is a clear metaphor for the Buddha-to-be's realisation that his settled life merely obscured the hard truths that would visit him just like all others are visited by them, and that to break through to a more meaningful reality, he had to change his conditions. In agreeing to be ordained, and even more so in deciding to go on a long ordination retreat with no access to the outside world and all my web of connections, and believe me, this hurt. It really did. I didn't realise how much it was going to hurt, just to put that in a personal note, until I was at... um, Alicante Airport, and I rang Rachel on my mobile, what I took to be the last time, and uh, promptly dissolved into tears, which was very embarrassing. Um, When you've lived with somebody for 27, 28 years, it's quite difficult to imagine that you're going to spend four months without speaking to them. The bizarre thing was, when I got to Gokiloka, they said we could keep our mobile phones for the next day and a half. I didn't know what to do, so I sent her a text saying, I'll text you, but I just can't bear to ring you again. That's too, too painful. Anyway, it passed. I was, to some extent at least, trying to emulate this this vision of the Buddha, to a lesser extent, of course. The Shraddha needed to carry this through can be seen as analogous to the Buddha's foresight, that of the holy man. Mind you, the change in lifestyle and commitment to progress he put himself through is almost beyond conception in comparison with me, of course. The Buddha was clearly an extraordinary person with amazing dedication to see beyond suffering and constraints of samsara. And to achieve this, however strongly, however strongly, however strongly doubt or Mara challenged him, and to achieve that, he obviously had complete awareness of each condition, both internal and external, that arose to block his progress, or his development, at least, and the dedication to replace them with ever more favourable conditions, conducive to going beyond the self, and become an ever more expansive being. For me, all I could do was set up what I had faith were far more skillful conditions than those that attained in my normal life, however pleasant in samsaric samsaric terms they seemed. One of my clearest understandings from Buddhist practice is that we cannot just become a new, more expansive person, as if A led to B, which led to C, in a nice logical Western style. All we can do is bring into being more and more positive conditions. And then combined with Shraddha, confidence, faith in the Dharma, and a certain commitment of energy, more beneficial outcomes will emerge. Although we never know what they'll be. Why? Because this is how the law of karma operates. So leaving behind my everyday life for a long ordination retreat was the culmination of setting in train these beneficial conditions. But, 
As is the way with the Karma Niyama, what the outcome would be, I had no idea. According to the traditions of the ordination process, I'm not going to tell you what went on over those four months. Suffice to say that it contained much that was enjoyable, periods of loneliness, wonderful sangha, got on very well with all the other guys being ordained, even though I didn't know them beforehand really, or very much, lots of deep reflection, some amazing devotional practices, and uh, as anybody who knows me well is, that's not my top of my bill usually, devotional practices, but they were incredible, so I encourage you. Hope you enjoy them, uh, Ivan. And a smattering of strange visions that are so un-me that I was forced to follow, uh, follow my public preceptor, Mike Bandu's advice to just let them be without analysis. As you can imagine, that wasn't easy in my case. I wanted to take them apart and see what made them tick and then dismiss them, of course. But I wasn't allowed to do that. So, So... That's the actual ordination done with. No facts at all. Um, so what are the return? Well, going forth doesn't end with actually leaving home. In fact, it never ends because you never return to the life you had previously. Of course, superficially, much of my life looks exactly the same as it did before. Um, but underneath, especially from an inner perspective, everything is subtly changed. The reason for doing things, my motivations, the whole mandala of my life has subtly been rearranged, and in some cases not at all subtly, by the way. <clears throat> in the last weeks of the retreat, I promised myself I would come back and help the Manchester Buddhist Centre in whatever ways I could best contribute, which I supposed would mean teaching Buddhist classes, doing further work with the trustees, helping Artiketu and Aparachita with the male uh, Sangha, male Mitra Sangha, and of course, continuing to lead study. This is then what I put my energies into straight away, because I knew that a mixture of fear and laziness would derail all these good intentions if I paused too long to think about them. Now, there's plenty of discussion about whether you should come back and have a long pause and imbibe the effects of your ordination and then the other school that says, no, no, go there, get back there. If you listen to Mike Chabandu, he's a bit gung-ho, it's true, a splendid guy. He said, no, no, go back and in the same week that you come back, join a chapter and then next week start teaching. Blimey. Um, but actually, for me personally, that was, that was good advice. Not, I know it wouldn't suit many people, but but for all these seeming results of the ordination process, it feels to me just like the beginning. The more I become aware of myself, the more there needs to be worked on. And the more I realise that I'm in a new, somewhat disorientating period. I now only work at the soap factory two days a week. And structuring my remaining time has far from settled down. My old non-Buddhist friends find it hard to ask how I'm getting on. So used to equating that to how's work going, and they're not even sure if I care about how work's going. My father's completely lost interest because he thought I was going to be a go-getting businessman. Now, where he got this idea from, I do not know. I was never a go-getting businessman of any sort, but anyway, he kept hoping. And then when I finally said, now I'm doing two days a week, and uh, 
you know, a lot of more Buddhist activities. He just kind of gave up on me, I think. Um, still, it stops him nagging me about how the business is doing, so that's good. Um, what do I say I am or I do at all those innumerable parties which I wished I was invited to? Um, it's fine if you go to Buddhist parties, by the way. They don't ask you questions like that. But if you go to parties from your, with, from your old friends, they ask you questions like that. But now they don't know what to ask. Just supposing I actually have this exciting uh, social life. So, whoops, jump there. So basically, I have now practiced and practicing surrendering to an unknown future in many ways, and believe it or not, it's not that comfortable. So that's the end, really. I just want to say there that I'm, I'm a planner, really, especially like Rachel. Rachel's even more of a planner. But uh, I'd like things to be just so worked out, planned far ahead, and none of it works now, really. I just don't really know what's happening. Um, uh, it's a really interesting state. I'm far more relaxed about my work, but on the other hand, I just don't know where it's all going. But it all feels very positive so far. Um, and we'll see what happens next. That's it. <laughs>